The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace, you can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, hi, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and we are here to talk about and celebrate the visual workplace. Thanks so much for tuning in. We want to let the workplace speak, said another way, we want to take the struggle out of work, we want to do work that makes sense. So before we get started with the show, I wanted to remind you that we are counting on you for your feedback and your comments to help us shape the show. The show is about the many aspects of workplace visuality, cultural, bottom line, theoretical, practical. I spent nearly 30 years in this field, and honestly, for me, it's been an endless journey of discovery. It's been so interesting. So you can contact us directly through radio at visualworkplace.com or through our website, visualworkplace.com, or you can call the QMI office, 503-233-1784. 503-233-1784, and tell us what you think, and tell us what you want. So, on our show today, we're going to focus on the power of visual guarantees, or mistake-proofing. And in the process, we'll interview Dr. Martin Hinckley, who's an aerospace scientist and also a Pokeyoke expert. He's also author of Make No Mistake, and I'm delighted that he has agreed to join us today. But I first want to take a moment to set the stage, and then uh, I'll be asking Dr. Hinckley to also give us a primer on how mistake-proofing works as a practice, and then we'll get into the very interesting world of the error-free hospital and, by association, the error-free pharmacy. So, setting the stage, the terms visual guarantee, mistake-proofing, error-proofing, fail-safing, and pokeyoke which is a Japanese word, all refer to the same thing. These are devices or mechanisms that are intentionally designed to share vital information about the task at hand, so it's about performance, so that we do the right thing safely, correctly, on time, and with pokeyoke, so that we don't do the wrong thing. If you've listened into any of our other shows on the visual workplace, you'll know that this is also my definition for a visual device, a mechanism intentionally designed to share vital information about the task at hand without speaking a word. And there's good reason for that. A mistake-proof mechanism is a visual device. It's a sensory device. It embeds vital operational information deeply into the design of the product and or into the process of work itself. Except, well, except that pokeyoke, 
error-proofing is the most powerful of all visual devices. It's at the top of the heap. Its power is absolute because it is built on this principle, the principle of 100% source inspection. So we'll kind of unnest that for you. Don't be put off by it. These are principles, and they're meant to be very compact in the wording. But what that means as a common simple expression is this. Think about the example of the uh, magnetic strip on the back of your credit cards. It looks like nothing. Who even notices it? But in fact, it's everything if you want the darn thing to work, if you want it to function. That strip and that strip alone ensures that when you insert that card correctly, you get the information you need. And in fact, if you insert it incorrectly, it simply won't work. Put it in the right way it reads, put it in the wrong way it doesn't read. No matter how smart you are, how well trained you are, how busy, how angry, how rich, how poor, it doesn't matter what color socks you're wearing, it's not going to work. <laughs> you got to do it the right way or nothing. That's the way it is with pokey oak error proofing. Another is, another common example is, for example, the two prong electri- electrical plug. As householders, you own a home that nobody gives you a lesson in how to plug in the plug. And yet, there's a wider prong and a thinner prong, and you have to plug the wider prong in the wider hole, otherwise it won't work. But the prongs train us. The prongs speak is what I like to say. They speak. They're training us. They're giving us feedback on our behavior all the time. If you don't position the prong... The plug the right way, it won't seat, no electricity. And no amount of smiling or crying will change that. So that's mistake-proofing. That's what I call visual guarantees. I like to use the visual word for it, visual guarantees, because I want to keep it within the paradigm of workplace visuality. I really want you to get that visuality is a language, and it's very, very powerful. It's a performance language. It's our operational system, the intelligence of our operational systems embedded into the landscape of work. And the thing about mistake-proofing, it's so good for us because we're human and we forget. But even worse than that, it gets even worse, and that is we forget that we forgot. And we start moving very, very far away from being able to perform the very tasks that we want to. So Polkioke is our memory. The design is our memory, the design of the car, of the plug, or the device itself. Okay, it's available. The answer is available to us. And that's the purpose of the visual workplace to embed this operational information. So pokey oak devices, and I want to say this also so you understand that pokey oak devices ensure that the process is not just stable and endlessly and accurately repeatedly, but that also works for low volume, high complexity. So you don't have to have... You know, you're repeating the same task 25 times a day or 25 times a week. This works if you repeat the task three times every 10 years because the memory is put into the device itself. And I want to mention one other thing. Shigeo Shingo, a name that some of you may recognize, who was co-architect of the Toyota production system along with his boss, Taichi Ono, this, these are Japanese names, nearly single-handedly brought visual guarantees of pokey oak to the world of work. He was the one who dubbed these amazing information-packed solutions pokey oak 
mistake-proof devices. And Shingo urged us to use Statistical Process Control, SPC, for planning only, for setting capability levels and things like that. And he said, Pokeyoke the heck out of everything else. So Pokeyoke is why he called his book Zero Quality Controls. And I, I had, because you don't need quality control if you have Pokeyoke. I had the honor of working directly with Dr. Shingo in the 1980s. Three years before he passed on, he asked me to use his book, Zero Quality Control, as a base for creating a Pokio classification system, a methodology, and an implementation approach for Western companies. That took a couple of years. And only later did I realize the interface with visuality as the larger framework. So, now, with that background in place... Let me introduce, with great pleasure, Dr. Martin Hinckley, an aerospace scientist with extensive experience on design projects requiring the highest level of quality and reliability. And just as an example to get us started, under his leadership, new products were developed at a fraction of traditional cost. In one case, the first prototype of a major um, aerospace subsystem was assembled virtually defect-free in one-seventh of the time. That was initially projected. Parts counts were dramatically reduced, and many of the parts were procured at one-tenth of the cost of the original estimates. Most fixtures were eliminated. If you're familiar with aerospace assembly, this is big. And among those that were not eliminated, the cost fixtures were reduced by, and this is scientific, by a hundredfold. <laughs> so we're in for a treat. So um, Martin, I want to welcome you very much for coming and um, thank you so much for giving us your very valuable time. Thank you, Gwendolyn, for that enthusiastic uh, <laughs> review of the principles of uh, the basic concepts of mistake proofing, and it's a pleasure to be on your program. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I want to begin by asking you to just add a little bit to the background that I just provided so we can understand your expertise and also your decades-long interest in mistake proofing, please. Sure. Uh, Let's see, I worked at Sandia National Laboratories, which is located in Livermore, California, and was the lead engineer on some major programs at the laboratory, such as the X-ray laser, which is one of the projects that many of the uh, audience may remember. It's the type of environment where the highest levels of quality control are required. And while I was at Stanford, I went back, uh, while I was at Sandia, I went back to school at Stanford to get a PhD, where I worked with Professor Phil Barkin who is the leader in design for manufacturability, who started the concept here in the country, and uh, a great, great individual. But he was very interested in finding out what we could do in the design that really made a difference in product quality, and that's what led us to our study of mistakes and mistake-proofing. In uh, 1993, we founded Assured Quality, and I've been doing consulting and training in that field since there. Since mm. then, I've worked with hospitals such as Mountain View Hospital in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I am the recipient of the West Guard Quality Award in Clinical Chemistry, which is an international award, and I have a patent in IV timing. Fantastic, fantastic. And you also have on your website this amazing dictionary of pokey oak devices, of error-proofing devices that can be accessed. I mean, you have thousands and thousands of devices, and I believe many of them are available at no charge if I remember my last visit. That's correct. 
uh, individuals can sign on through the website and they can uh, access the uh, the database at no charge. And would you mind giving us your website, please? It's Assured Quality. Uh, a, uh, no spaces or period between assuredquality.com. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. So you have um, you, your approach to Pokeyoke actually is a little bit different from the way I view it, but I find it fascinating. You make a distinction between complexity, variation, and error. Could you please explain that so we have a baseline for going into the hospital and also give us some of those wonderful examples that help people who are not scientists understand the distinction? Sure, I'd be happy to. Let's see, let's start with variation. Variation was the first quality problem identified. Uh, Variation consists of those things that are easily described by distribution, such as if I'm hanging a poster on a wall, I can get it slightly in the wrong place or it can be misaligned, the level may be off slightly. Those types of things uh, are easily described in terms of a distribution and uh, fit the model of, of variation. However, on rare occasions, and when I say rare occasions, in, a, in industrial production and service environments, about once in every 10,000 to once in every 100,000 times, we make a mistake that results in an outcome that doesn't fit the distribution model. It's like hanging the picture upside down or on its side. Now, uh, And do you the, call that an error? That would be a mistake or an error. Be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Complexity increases the likelihood of both variation and mistakes. The more difficult the task becomes, the more likely you are to commit an error or uh, and the more likely you are to have excessive variation. But of these, uh, mistakes result in the things that are the greatest disaster from, uh, from the standpoint of defects. Things that are slightly out of the control limits in terms of variation may cause minor problems, but mistakes generally cause serious problems. And the example, uh-huh. if we talked about medication, um, in, in medication, we could look at the amount of medication in each pill and look at that as a variation. But if the, if the company that's manufacturing the pills put the wrong ingredients in, that would be a serious mistake. Or if the mm-hmm. uh, patient gets the wrong dose, or the dose is given to the wrong patient. Those fit uh, the the classification of mistakes where they're probabilistic events, not distributions. Very good, very good. Thank you. You know, uh, before we get into hospitals, that was really clear to me, but this is about the fifth time I've heard it, so uh, hopefully everyone else uh, caught it, that image about the poster on the wall is very good. So by distribution, we mean maybe you moved it a half an inch, maybe an inch, maybe three inches to the left or the right, but that's not the same thing as putting it up there upside down. That is a mistake. Right. Yeah. So um, uh, we're going to be going into a break in just a moment, but I want to kind of ask set up what we want to do next. I'd like you to talk about, before we get into the hospital, about that amazing study that you did a couple of years ago that you presented to the aerospace company as a way to really address the kinds of errors that happen along the full length of the distribution 
and the value stream, the supply chain up and down. I think it involved 25,000 companies, if I remember correctly. Well, it was about 1,400 companies, uh, which is still a very large sample. Okay. We got the results of their production uh, for an entire year. And uh, this is over 100 million parts, uh, products that are being made. There were 10,000, more than 10,000 quality reports covering over 320,000 defects. And I'm going to have to ask you to just hold on because we're sliding into a break. Okay. You'll hear, you'll hear the music come up in a moment, and, uh, and then we'll pick it up as soon as uh, we come back. This is really an amazing study, all about pokey oak. Thank you very much, Martin. Sure. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. No family can survive on two incomes anymore, let alone one. If you are supplementing your family's income working from home, then tune into The Cash Flow Show, Direct Sales Radio. Host Deb Bixler brings you sales tips, lead generation systems, and best business practices that guarantee direct sales success. Whether you're looking for a little extra cash or a career change, The Cash Flow Show, Direct Sales Radio, will give you proven systems that will work in your home business. The Cash Flow Show. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Martin Hinckley, aerospace scientist and visual and pokey oak expert. And um, Martin is just in the process of describing a study that he was involved with, in fact, that he led, that has some very interesting points to be made about mistake proofing, and then we'll slide right into error-proof hospital. Please, Martin, would you frame this for us? Sure. Uh, this study involved a team at Utah State University of students uh, and 
um, Mark Thomas and myself participated. Uh, we had, we acquired the data from a, all the suppliers of a major aerospace company, and we reviewed every single one of the reports that were performed and took the way that they described them and classified them uh, and uh, the causal factors and summarized them. And let me say, this: these reports were on quality problems, defects, right. and everything associated with that. Yes, everyone, uh, all of these reports. We, we looked at other information, but the key issue with quality was the, the quality reports. There were over 10,000 reports, um, over 320,000 defects, covering over 320,000 defects. And of the 10,000 reports, the word variation was mentioned in five out of the 10,000 reports. Most of the problems were wrong parts, wrong position, wrong routing, not welded, uh, fails, malfunctions, and descriptions as well as causal factors that all describe mistakes and not variation. Mm. Human so, error. Right. Mm. The, re- mm. the reason that this is important is Mistakes are rare random events, and you cannot predict when they will occur from statistics, nor can you sort them out by sampling. You can't remove them from the supply chain and from the supply parts by inspection because with sampling and inspection, you just miss them. So if you're going to handle mistakes, it takes a different tool than statistical process control to do that. Mm. So... That's a very interesting study. Now, I'd like you to just spend a couple of minutes on what you proposed to the company and what happened, because this points up a big barrier in understanding, and I think our listeners need to understand that it isn't just that pokey oak makes sense. It's that there's a certain amount of something else that needs to be addressed first. Uh, Well, let's see. First of all, the results of the study seem to be quite a surprise to the company, and uh, when we presented it, at first there was silence in the room, and then one of the leaders asked, well, what does this group think of having heard this? And and somebody there said, this is exactly what our problem is. We just haven't seen it this way before. So it, it changed the whole perspective of the company, and they've initiated some action to address uh, their uh, quality issues in an entirely different way than they had uh, addressed before. But in fact, if I remember correctly, but in fact, they decided not to pursue errors as the culprit. They, in fact, decided, I believe, um, well, you tell me, you'll well, remind me. They, they resolved on a method that uh, one, of the sub, uh, one of their supply chain is using, and it does address mistake proofing, but um, probably in not the most effective way. So give us a little bit more detail because there's a point that I, I hope that we can make here. Uh, well, let's see. I think one of, the, one of the challenges with companies is that it is difficult to change directions. There's a mindset that is uh, difficult to overcome. And, and one of the uh, participants that was head of the production environment said, you know things that are that fit the automotive model don't fit our our kind of problems. Well, the the truth is, while the solutions may be somewhat different, the problems are actually very similar. 
as in aerospace, for example, and as in hospitals, which we're going to right. discover in a moment. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, we'll we'll move on for that from there, and I won't hammer a point that might be only in my imagination. So let's now move to the work setting. But you know what? Talk to us a little bit about statistics and Six Sigma and that fit so that we know when we're going into a hospital setting, we're still looking at those random events that do not give themselves to sampling or even counting. Well, let's see. Controlling variation is essential, and I don't want anyone to get the impression that that isn't critical. What has happened, however, in most industries and services is that the control of variation is reached kind of the limit of what it can do to achieve uh, the highest levels of quality control. And it's like lowering the level of a lake. You don't really start to see other problems like rocks sticking up through the, through the surface of the lake until the level drops to the point that, that issues other than the level of the lake become dominant. And so we start seeing these rocks of mistakes sticking up through the issues of variation that we hadn't understood before. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, and we see a lot of problems. If you walk into a hospital and watch somebody trying to trace IV lines, for example, the problem isn't the variation in the, in the amount of, mater- of fluid or liquid that's delivered through any individual I- IV. The bigger problem is that the IV lines get crossed, they get put in the wrong pump, and then the wrong flow gets directed to the patient or we get the wrong bag of uh, medication or nourishment hooked up incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Very good. So let's move into the healthcare setting. And here we're talking about hospitals, nursing homes, long-term care facilities, medical offices, emergency rooms, surgery, the nature of errors in those settings. And please uh, tell us about some of the very interesting studies that uh, you have um, you've yourself have studied. Well, let's see. Some of these studies, the most important studies, I'm not the author or originator of, but they, are, they bear on this issue. Some of the early studies, the one that kind of changed the view of the country was uh, written by Cohn, Corrigan, and Donaldson in the National Academy study that showed that 44,000 to 100,000 people a year die in hospitals. Uh, Joint Commission uh, that accredits hospitals, JACO, uh, estimates that 4,500 to 11,000 patient identification errors in hospitals cause death uh, a year. That's been their number one priority for many years. In hospitals, uh, nosocomial infections or hospital-acquired infections, there's about 2 million of those a year in the United States. It's estimated that they cost $77 billion. Uh, they increase the average stay from seven and a half to nine and a half days. They increase morbidity by 35%. And a typical blood type nosocomial infection will cost $39,000. So individually, there's a lot of random errors that are occurring. They have serious consequences, and people are dying from it. Hmm. And these random errors, uh, do you have a sense of what conditions they are connected to or linked to? Well, let's see. In every environment, um, there are the causal factors or uh, where they occur or when they occur are random. It's not, 
it's not like nurses have the problem and doctors don't or that uh, nurses and doctors have the problem and administration and record keeping doesn't. Every layer of the process uh, from the pharmacy to the to the nuclear medicine, uh, there are errors that occur in every element of the process mm-hmm. and it's not limited to a single element. And in fact, you have a, a personal interest in examining this particular problem. Would you tell us about what happened to your nephew and share that story, please? Sure. Um, Thank you. It, it turns out that uh, 15% of the prescriptions written by doctors have errors, 7% of the prescriptions that leave the hand of the pharmacist have an error, and about 1% of those are potentially fatal. My nephew um, went into the hospital for a, a strep infection and had received a prescription. He went in, uh, not a hospital, he went into a pharmacy. The pharmacist handed him a prescription. It happened to be the same last name of an adult. Um, and when he took the prescription after a day or two, he became sick, started uh, to feel worse, went back to the pharmacy and the doctor and found that what they'd given him was a prescription for an adult of the same last name, that would have been fatal if he'd taken it another 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. simply due to the fact that the uh, same last name and prescription, the pharmacist thought he was giving him the right prescription, and it was mm-hmm. incorrect. Mm-hmm. And typically, that's that's a very scary story, and I'll bet that lots of people have had similar things happen. And the point of our whole discussion is that we believe, Martin and I, and many of you out there, that there is a different way of addressing errors and addressing human forgetless, forgetfulness or carelessness or lack of understanding, whatever that may be, so that we can kind of corral a category of problems and really nail nail their solution, nail their solution in place through these pokey oak devices. So if you would please, Martin, shift over to um, two things. How do hospitals attempt to address these problems and what's the counterbalance that mistake-proofing represents? And maybe you can give us a few examples of those as well. Sure. Uh, There has been... uh conscious effort to deal with mistakes for some period of time in the medical industry. In almost every hospital, they have mortality and morbidity meetings where they discuss issues that have occurred as well as uh, methods for preventing them. Uh, And some of the efforts go back in terms of their effectiveness. Uh, For example, Ellison G. Pierce in the area of anesthesiology found that in hospitals in the 1960s and 1980s that about 1 in 10,000 to 2 in 10,000 patients were dying in hospitals due to the administration of uh, anesthesiology, uh, uh, anesthesia. And what he found is that um, anesthesiologists would work in different hospitals. They, They don't work in a specific hospital. And as they move from one hospital to the next, the equipment was different. On one piece of equipment, you turn the dial to the right and it increased the oxygen. On other pieces of equipment, when you turned it to the right, it decreased the oxygen. And some would increase the uh, drugs and others would decrease the drugs when you turned it. And so what was happening is the anesthesiologists would turn the equipment the way that they had become familiar in one hospital and it would kill a patient in another. Wow. 
uh, he was very effective in standardizing those methods. That's an important part. For example, your wall plug example represents a case of standardization. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. the more recent past, there's electronic medication administration records where they attempt to preclude giving medicines to a patient that doesn't match the prepared medications by scanning the barcode on the patient and that unlocks Mm -hmm. the container Mm -hmm. that allows you to give the patient the medicine. Although that's an important improvement, it's only cut the error rates in about half. And good mistake proofing can can reduce defect rates more than 10 times. So they're not very good in terms of mistake proofing. So we're making progress, but we have further to go. Right. We're going to be we're coming up to a break again now, and I wanted to see if I could capture this idea that one of the things that Martin is talking about is turning adjustments into settings, so that you only have one thing to do. You don't have to find the right place, the right adjustment. You simply move the dial, if it were, to the right setting, and that's such a simple. Um, Pokeyoke device, visual device, but so, so powerful because it takes all of the guesswork out. So um, I'm just so very, very impressed by uh, the power of Pokeyoke. And let's continue when we come back. Thank you. Thanks, Martin. America Business Network. Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccianello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. 
And here we are again. We're with Martin Hinckley, aerospace scientist and Pokioke expert. And we have entered into the sometimes scary world of hospitals and other medical settings where we're really entrusting our lives into the hands of very capable people, but they are also human. And we're trying to find a way to kind of optimize the event so that humans can actually deliver care that uh, creates the result that they intend as well as we want. Martin, uh, we were... Uh, just talking about the hospital when we went into the break, and I wonder if you could complete your thought and then share some examples for our listeners, please. You bet. Thank you, Gwendolyn. Uh, let's see. We, we started talking about the electronic medication administration records, the, uh, the EMAR carts in hospitals. Uh, the EMAR cart uh, has a computer, a barcode scanner, and different bins of medication. The intent is the person, the nurse is supposed to wheel that into the room of the patient. They scan the armband, uh, and then that unlocks the drawer for the medications for that patient. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful concept, but in terms of mistake proofing, they often miss, they've missed some of the key issues there. One of the problems with an EMAR cart is they cannot be left unattended because they have uh, medications that uh, can be misused if they're if it's left un- unattended. And so what happens is if the nurse is in a room with an EMAR cart and there's a stat case or the, if they're under a lot of pressure, the difficulty is they cannot leave the cart unattended and lo- unlocked. And closing up the cart takes time, and that delays them in responding to stat uh, cases in other rooms. So what has happened, they found, is that the nurses, to avoid the problem of the time and securing the cart, will scan the barcode in the patient's logbook at the nurse's desk rather than scan the armband. Uh And then they carry the medications into the wrong room and give it to the wrong patient. So the difficulty is while the intent was uh, the, the intention was good. Uh, in many cases, the mistake proofing method is not truly mistake proofing, and the process is being circumvented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, simple kinds of things can prevent the deployments from being particularly effective in the in the solution. You know, I'm struck with that example about how important it is when we talk about lean and we talk about the kind of process improvement that goes on in factories, how important it is to go to Gemba and see it actually in real time and not theoretically based on the design of it, but actually on the performance of it. So very interesting. I know that many hospitals are engaged in this, and please continue with your examples, but at some point, talk to us about how a hospital can start getting involved in Pokioke, and we'll also talk about the project that you and I are hoping to uh, launch one of these days. Sure, thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. First of all, I'd like to go to to the other extreme of simple processes that have not been mistake-proofed at all. And they are really more common of all the hospital kinds of issues. We talked about nosocomial infection or hospital-acquired infections. One of the most common procedures in in a hospital is just inserting an IV. Uh, There's a kit. Typically, it has a... Uh, what they call a tagroderm patch that covers the IV. They have tape that tapes the patch, the, the patch down. They have persist or some other chemical for swabbing and cleansing the site. They have 
uh, gloves that they need to put on, they have a tourniquet, a whole bunch of little parts. So what happens is the nurse walks out to the table. The first thing they do is they start rolling out the tape and taping it to the table and opening some of the packages. And the parts are scattered out. They're not laid out in order. And then they start to swab a patient or go through the procedures that they need to cleanse the site and insert the IV. Well, watching nurses, what happens is you find that they perform those operations out of sequence. There's all these small parts. Sometimes they fall on the floor. And then they've got to go get another kit and start over again. And uh, I've seen cases where nurses start the process twice. The the kits are on the other side of the hospital. It takes 20 minutes to insert an, an IV. But more importantly, because of sequence errors, they can uh, increase the likelihood of a no- nosocomial effect, infection. Mm. And then there's also timing kinds of things that are going on where they have to do these for certain periods of time, and if they're rushed, they may not do them long enough. Well, mm-hmm. a simple kind of way to solve some of those problems would be to put those in a kit on a folded sheet of paper so you only can access the right part in the right sequence. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds mm-hmm. very simple, it, it would be incredibly in, inexpensive, but it would almost eliminate sequence errors. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're talking about the thinking. You're talking about what I call visual thinking, noticing the motion, noticing the information deficit, the missing information, and finding a solution that's embedded into the physical landscape of work. I love that idea. Right. That, yeah. Exactly. And yep. one of the other things is you find that the task is made unnecessarily complex by having all these little kits and packs to mm-hmm. open. You could imagine a type of pack that where you do one opening operation and mm-hmm. it exposes or opens all of these things in the right sequence. Mm-hmm. Now instead of a bunch of trash and a bunch of parts, mm-hmm. their time is focused on doing the task and they can do that more efficiently, would more than pay for the cost of, of those uh, type of things. Some of the other examples are pulling out tape and taping it on the thing. They're transferring whatever on that table surface to the patient. Mm-hmm. If, if mm-hmm. they put that tape in a dispenser, they now have tape dispensers where you just pull up the tape and it comes out one piece at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you're wrapping Christmas presents, which right, I thought was exactly. a really big breakthrough. <laughs> yeah, a longer pieces, but same kind of concept. Yes. Well, I love that idea. I just want to backtrack a little bit so that uh, people who are listening in get this concept. So I think what you talked about, Martin, was first experimenting with this um, this idea of sequencing uh, the elements of this procedure by just folding paper. So that would be your experimental phase, the kind of design phase of figuring out how to do that. And then later on, you would institutionalize it as it were and go to your supplier and get packaging that would um, mirror that kind of sequencing but you would do your experimentation uh, at Gemba right there and figure out a better way and work out the kinks. It, did I get that right? That's exactly right. When, yeah. when you've got to have the end user involved. Uh, if they don't participate, a lot of times I think the problem is a lot of the manufacturers of these kits have never watched 
the the healthcare providers actually use them to see how they could simplify it or make it easier. Yes, and it's so interesting because you're introducing the pressure of time, which is what we see all the time in 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 factories that we have to get these pieces to uh, come out at the same time, to integrate, to be assembled, and that component of time itself, which is what Lean is supposed to be about at its very heart, becomes um, an important um, causal factor, as you call it. Wow, fascinating. Well, so, the time is really a critical issue in hospitals, particularly for nursing care. One of the problems is the demand is increasing as um, the age of patients increases, and uh, the, the problem is that one of the most important things that we can do to help hospitals is to make the time that the nurses have and doctors have to spend more effective in working with the patients. And that's going to be an increasing problem with the aging population. So that simplifying turns out to be one of the best ways to eliminate some of the mistakes as well as make the the process easier and more productive. Fantastic. Um, And, and, well, let's talk about the project that we're hoping to um, to get organized. Martin and I, because he's a, a Pokeyoke expert, and I'm pretty darn good in visual and the other parts of visuality. I'm okay in Pokeyoke, but he's fantastic. We are actually looking for a hospital or a pharmacy where we can map out this entire model and for it to be a showcase, not just a lean hospital, but a visual hospital and an error-free hospital. This is something that's very exciting to us, and we need a laboratory. So if you're a hospital out there and you are interested in kind of being on the cutting edge of this kind of a model, please be in touch with us. We would love to work with you and um, figure out how it can be done so other hospitals can benefit from it and uh, all of healthcare in general. Let me bring up the issue of um, the entire transactional cycle, which you've touched upon, but, you know, getting serious about individual and departmental adherence to procedures and repeatable, executable quality by examining the entire transactional cycle from prescription to filling to administration. I'd like you to comment on that so that we have this more holistic kind of value stream view of the importance of this methodology. Sure. Uh, Let's see. One of the things that we learn from most processes is a lot of the problems occur in the information, uh, gathering, collection, uh, transcription. Uh, It turns out that, for example, when a doctor writes a prescription, uh, some of them are quite unreadable. uh, and And getting that translated accurately turns out to be one of the biggest issues. Another issue is that the pharmacists view their value as they add value by uh, catching mistakes. Well, part of it is a cultural change. We need to change the vision of both doctors and pharmacists that they don't add value by catching mistakes. They add value by preventing mistakes. And uh, that's a whole different paradigm. It means that, for example, the screen where I enter the information the way I present it, the, the order that I present it, the, the sequence, is it mistake-proof when I enter it? If it's an unusual prescription for um, quantity for that size and age of patient, does it give me a warning that that's inappropriate? Do I have a warning and when I have a drugs that will interact and uh, that might interact and 
harm the patient. Then we have to look at the translation of that to going around the pharmacy and selecting the correct medication in the correct dose rate. Uh, then there are issues of getting that uh, labeled and marked correctly and Concepts like point-of-use printing make a huge mm-hmm. difference on the probability that that is mislabeled or marked incorrectly. And then finally, we have the distribution. We have the, the nurse getting the medication to the right patient and uh, making sure that the patient is identified correctly. Um, and 1% of the armbands in hospitals, for example, are missing. And so there are a broad range of issues from the beginning to end and you never get to an error-free process until you address the most critical issues in every part of that chain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, it requires, uh, I, you know, the, the ideal is many simple mistake-proofing and visual devices. It isn't mm-hmm. a single one Mm-hmm. This is going to solve your problem. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, where some organizations make serious errors. They think that if they do a little bit of mistake-proofing, mm-hmm. that solves the problem. And it's not that way at all. It takes quite a bit of it to actually be successful. Well, that's exactly the point about point solutions versus a system of systems of, of visuality. Mm-hmm. We're moving into a break in just a moment. And when when we come back, I'm going to ask you that hot question about why don't doctors write prescriptions that can be read? I'm going to let you answer that question, Martin. Okay. <laughs> okay. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. 
So here we are in our last segment. This is Gwendolyn, and I'm here with Dr. Martin Hinckley. And we're talking about the visual hospital, the error-free hospital, the hospital that is dominated, governed, guided by visual devices, including the powerful Pokeyoke device. And just before the break, I asked Martin if he would take on the uh, answer to why don't doctors write more clearly. Martin, take it away. Well, let's see. This is a, that's a very interesting question. I was speaking to one doctor that was head of the quality uh, for the state and monitoring the quality of the hospitals for the state, uh, and I won't mention what which state it was. And this individual was a doctor himself. And when that subject came up, he gave the rather surprising answer that the writing of doctors is rather illegible intentionally. And the reason for that is uh, if it, if they write the wrong prescription, they have the liability. If they write it illegibly and the pharmacist identifies the right material, that's fine. And if they don't, then at least they don't bear the same burden in terms of liability. So it's driven in some respects by the liability issues. But we should put the priority as protecting the patient and uh and, and as well as making it safe for doctors to do the right thing. Mm. And I think if we make it safe for doctors to do the right thing, they won't hesitate to do the right thing. So, Yes, that's a wonderful point. Wonderful point. Thank you, Martin. And uh, let's spend a few moments on what strategy could hospitals adopt and adapt for to make mistake-proofing a part of their approach to quality and to error-free an error-free stay for uh, for us, for us patients, sure. and for you. Um, there was an interesting program last Sunday on TV that is called The Brain Game, and in it they showed that uh, people can really pay attention to only one thing at a time. And the most common thing that happens when a mistake occurs is management blames the individuals or the courts blame the individuals. You're not paying attention. The truth is, no matter how much you urge them, you cannot change the fact that they really can only pay attention to one thing at a time. And one of the things that we need to do to uh, to make a successful implementation is you really have to stop punishing the errors. Uh, you have to get them out in the open rather than hide them. And the second thing is uh, there we have to recognize that there are cultural changes that make it effective. You have to recognize that you have to change sometimes the value system. Uh, another thing that becomes very critical is, like Allison G. Pierce, we need uh, champions. They need, to, they need to push the organization to make changes. I think one of the biggest challenges in terms of mistake-proofing is uh, when we look at most implementations, they tend to be fairly weak solutions because not because the intent isn't right, but the problem is a lot of times individuals have poor understandings of what constitutes an effective mistake-proofing solution. Yes, excellent. Wow, excellent. That's very good. Go ahead, please. A couple of other things that are critical is there needs to be more pressure put on equipment providers to make sure they're mistake-proof and that they have standard interfaces you know even though the anesthesiology equipment has standard types of interfaces there's still problems in the equipment in the in the hospital rooms and certainly large organizations like HCA and IHC can play a lead role in that area and then finally everyone in the organization needs to gain awareness not just in 
mm-hmm. what mistakes are there. I think the awareness is growing in terms of the role of mistakes, but what is not increasing as rapidly is awareness on how to solve the problems and to get solutions deployed. Yes, indeed. And here that brings us back to visual thinking, the visual hospital, and how to embed that information deeply. And the thing about a visual hospital and a pokeo hospital is that you can't cookie cutter. You can't adopt someone else's solution to hold a hog. You have to really examine what's happening in your hospital and the, and the interplay of all of these, the value systems, the people, the kind of people you hire, how new they are, how tired they are, all of those factors uh, will will impinge upon this um, this construction of a good, strong strategy. I'd like to also add a study that I read that every time we're interrupted, it takes us eight to ten minutes to get back to the level of focus, of intensity, as we had before the interruption. And that doesn't matter if it's a short interruption or a long one, that we cannot come back to that depth of uh, contact except eight to ten minutes later, which is huge, something that we don't realize. Thanks, Martin. Thanks. This is great. Thank you very, very much for presenting such a strong case for Pokeyoke and also for the, um, the, the hospital venue as being very worthy of our attention. Visual solutions in Pokeyoke are designed to share complex, detailed information accurately and quickly and completely with the people who need it the most, the people who deliver care in the facilities. Martin, is there any question that I haven't asked that you'd like to answer before we kind of wrap it up for the day? Well, I, I think the, uh, the question that most people have on their mind is, what can I do? And I, I think some of the things are, you know, focus on your environment. Instead of trying to solve somebody else's problem, what kind of mistakes are happening in your environment? And then well, instead of sharing the problems, start collecting examples of solutions and sharing those. Make it a positive thing instead of negative and look for simple and expensive solutions. Don't look for the real complex because they're rare events. You want to try to find simple solutions. Because they may happen only once or twice, so why build a whole model around it? Right. Very good. Thank you. There's so many interesting parts of what you just said. And I would like to say again that there's a way of looking at these problems where we notice and we own the problems as our own. We see that there's missing information, simple information is missing. We build it into place through a visual device, maybe not as powerful as a pokey oak, as a error-proofing, but maybe it's the beginning of getting us there. And there's something to be said for thinking of uh, improvement as an iterative, a cycling process where we just take one step and then we build on that step and we make it stronger, we get more clarity. We, as you were saying before, we begin to see the rocks that are sticking out of the bottom of the pool. So thank you very, very much, Martin. I'd like to invite you on again where we can focus on um, mistake-proofing in factories and in um, the assembly process where there's such important examples. I want to thank everybody also for listening in today for taking time out of your busy day to listen about Pokeyoke and listen to things that maybe you can do yourself to improve the quality and the visuality of your own work environment. 
I want to thank Voice of America for inviting me to do this radio show. It's such a pleasure. And to my sponsor, QMI Visualine Institute. Martin, let's give your uh, website again, assuredquality.com. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, and ours is visualworkplace.com. Our phone number is 503-233-1784. Thanks a lot for listening. I look forward to the next time. You bet I do. Thanks. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.